Hello and welcome to Research Roundup brought to you by the Primary Care Collaborative Cancer Clinical Trials Group, PC4. I'm Christy Milley and each month we'll be looking at what's new in cancer in primary care research and I'll be talking to authors of recent publications and presentations. Today we're speaking with Dr Daniel Jones, an academic clinical lecturer from the University of Leeds. Dan is an academic GP and his PhD looked at the diagnosis of lung and colorectal cancer in primary care. Today we're speaking about his new systematic review that was published in the British Journal of General Practice and it was titled Factors Affecting the Decision to Investigate Older Adults with Potential Cancer Symptoms. Welcome, Dan. Hi, Christy. To start off, could you give us a little bit of background about the context of this systematic review? So what do we currently know or what's important in the decision-making process or management of older adults with cancer symptoms? Yeah, of course. So, well, I suppose the the main headline is that as a population, we're living longer and we're getting older. And with this, we're having increasing frailty and comorbidity. And then cancer is a disease predominantly of, of older adults. Um, I've got UK stats here, sorry, but um, the peak incidence of colorectal cancer, for example, in the UK is 85 to 90. Um, so it's it's a problem and it's going to grow this um, investigation and management of cancer symptoms in older adults. Um, but all our research evidence and guidance on the management of cancer symptoms in primary care is, is really lacking. Um, we've got nice guidelines in the UK and they don't even mention old age or frailty they have younger age cutoffs when we should start investigating but they don't really tell us what to do in in older adults or those with frailty or or other problems so we've got this growing population of older people who are getting cancer but but no real specific evidence on managing them in in primary care um there is evidence in secondary care uh, but this evidence makes us think um are we doing the right thing for example a systematic review looked at at cancer treatments and outcomes in patients with frailty. Um, after they had a diagnosis, they, they saw how frail they were and they found that patients with increased levels of frailty had worse outcomes overall, decreased survival from cancer, increased morbidity and intolerance from treatments such as chemotherapy, radiotherapy and surgery. And this review noticed that there was a large group of frail older patients that got a cancer diagnosis and then and then had, had no treatment or, or ongoing you know, care from their cancer. So it leads you to wonder if it was the right thing to to put them through all the tests and investigations um, to get to that point. Um, and then just on more generic sort of thinking about managing older adults, there's, there's evidence to suggest as we get older, we have a preference towards aiming for quality of life rather than length of life. Um, and a vignette study in, in the UK by Banks et al. looked at patients' wishes for investigations and found that older adults were much happier to accept a higher risk of cancer being undiagnosed before accepting investigations. But all our guidelines say if you're over 40 and you've got a breast lump or you're over 60 and you you have a change in bowel habit, investigate for cancer. Is it is it the right thing? Um, should we be doing less investigations? Is there a value in just knowing what's wrong with you and then and then not having any any treatment, I suppose? We talked in our research group about being put on a roller coaster when in primary care we do a referral for suspected cancer. We we send off that form, um, they are seen quickly, they're, they're, they're put through the tests in secondary care, they're, they're then biopsied, they they will meet a consultant and it's, it's probably harder to get off the roller coaster once in primary care we've put you on that by doing that referral. 
So I suppose that's my background. I, uh, I <laughs> Just thinking, um, is there a different way or, or should we be thinking specifically about managing older adults differently with, with cancer symptoms? Yeah, I really like that uh, analogy of a roller coaster. That's very emotive. You get a very strong feeling about what that journey is like for them. So I know you've kind of touched on it just in that background, but what were your key goals with this systematic review? Yeah. Okay. So, well, there's, 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 there's little evidence specifically in primary care. So we wanted to look at, at what the effect of increasing age or, or older adults had on the, on the time to diagnosis in primary care. So the bit we would call the primary care interval from a patient turning up the first time to general practice to them being referred or investigated. And then what factors affected this, um, both for GPs and, and patients? I, I think they were our, our key goals. It, it was more a information-finding mission at, at this stage. And in the review, you included both qualitative and quantitative studies. So could you take us through the key findings from your analysis of that quantitative data and also the, the themes you identified from the, the qualitative studies? Yeah, of course, Christy. So, well, we, we did a search and, and we found 54 studies. It was over 230,000 um, patients and health professionals were in, included in, in those studies. In their paper, I split up the quantitative and qualitative studies because it was hard to combine them any other way. So if it's all right, I'll just go through them like that with you. The Quantitative studies are perhaps less interesting. Um, we could only really do a, a vote counting method of analysis because they all measured such different things in different ways in different populations using different cancers. Um, so, so we use sort of a, a judgment of whether they were associated with an increased length or time to diagnosis or or a decreased length or or had no association with with that time to referral or diagnosis. So we looked at the effect on the primary care interval of of age and seven studies found no association. Five found that increasing age increased the length of the primary care interval and three found decreasing length. So you can't really draw much from that. It's, It's unclear. And similarly, when we looked at GP factors and patient factors, they considered interesting things like a, a GP's suspicion of cancer or a GP's cancer referral or their regret or anticipated regret about missing a cancer. Um, and in patient factors, they looked at um, patients declining or refusing investigations or or not turning up to referral appointments. But again, very mixed results. Um, so if we look at GP factors, four studies found no association, five found that increasing age increase the the risk that GPs would delay or or hang on or or not investigate cancer symptoms and two found the opposite of that that they increasing age increase the the likelihood of investigation and similarly with patient factors two studies increase that risk of not investigating and three had no association so they were all a bit mixed probably for lots of reasons that that may be a better touched on later um, but I think it is the heterogeneity in them in them all looking at different things Qualitative studies, are, I think, are, are more interesting. And we split them, we'd use thematic synthesis um, to sort of look at those qualitative studies. And they found found a variety of, of factors, really, and sometimes contrasting views from patients and GPs. So some of the qualitative studies looked at the effect of age on its own. Lots of them report using age or the ageing process as sort of a of a blame or, or, an, or another explanation for possible cancer symptoms. So if somebody came with a with weight loss or, or a change in bowel habit or, or abdominal pain or back pain, for example, they were putting it down to age or the aging process rather than thinking, oh, this, this could, be, could be cancer. 
and there was evidence that both patients and GPs did that, um, which, well, it's it could be the right thing to do, couldn't it? If we if we think about our introduction, but um, but it could be that they're they're missing opportunities to diagnose cancer earlier. There was lots in the next theme, which I grouped together, sort of frailty, cognitive impairment, and, and comorbidities as sort of factors that in, the increasing age and could have could affect a cancer diagnosis, but aren't always always there. So we we could have a frail sixty year old, couldn't we, and a, and a very fit, healthy. Altogether with it, ninety-five-year-old who's 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 active and doing things. So, um, but I grouped all those together as a sort of a set of things that that um, come with age, I suppose. They found that that GPs sometimes, or there was a thought that GPs sometimes overestimated frailty. So they might look at a patient in a care home, for example, and think just by eyeing them that they're they're not fit for tests or investigations, and therefore not refer them. And that might be might be wrong they might be overestimating that frailty but then when other studies question GPs about their use of frailty scores for instance or their way of of, of deciding of making these decisions they most suggested that they hadn't used frailty scores or that they they found they weren't helpful when we looked at, at this dementia or cognitive impairment studies there were there were some reviews that or studies that said that they felt like because patients with advanced dementia didn't have as much quality of life that it it wasn't worth or, or they they were less likely to investigate cancer symptoms in in those with with advanced dementia or cognitive impairment but then there were other studies and i, I remember a quote vividly from from my analysis and it, and it said just because they've 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 got this cognitive impairment or or memory loss they're still physically fit and because of that, the GP said he should continue to fight. And that was his his phrase that he used. And I, I quite quite like that. And I think of that sometimes with my patients. That, uh, you know, if they're fit enough, then, 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 then why not? Finally, comorbidities were sort of similar to frailty in a way. Some people use them as a maybe a tool or an or a, or a excuse for not investigating cancer symptoms. But then others felt that why should that be a barrier and, and, and did regardless. And I suppose it depends on the type of comorbidity, doesn't it? Um, there were lots of, ev- of reviews that showed patients blaming new symptoms on comorbidities as as well as like we said with aging so you know a, a classic example is a patient with COPD clearly they've nearly always been smokers haven't they and um, and they get new breathlessness nor a new cough and that's put down to their their COPD rather than a possible lung cancer which they'd be at high risk of being a smoker and, and being older so that's that group and then finally, there was a, a a sort of section on the influence of family and carers, which of course become more um, important as we get older. Um, but again, mixed findings really. Um, there was some examples in the literature of of family and carers encouraging or encouraging attendance with GPs with new symptoms, or even spotting the symptoms for the patient with with dementia, for example. You know, or you've had blood in your stool, Derek, for the last four days I think you should go to the doctor and the the patient hadn't hadn't noticed that so there was some evidence of family and carers encouraging or finding and and and, and speeding up that presentation or that um attending the doctors um but then there was there was other and and to be honest a couple of of, of cases at least that sounded a bit sad where the it, it sounded like the the patient had no desire to have investigations wanted to aim for comfort didn't want trips to hospital example but the the family wanted them to to keep going or keep living or keep being 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 pushed at, at all costs you know even against their their older family members wishes um 
and to be honest I see that at, at work too as a GP you sometimes do see family members really pushing for their their poor relative to have all the tests and and you know not to be resuscitated and and I think that that rings true with me that that, that is a an issue sometimes so they were probably a fair summary of the findings. It's mixed, but but I, th- I think when I wrote my summary for, for BJGP, I focused on that frailty, cognitive impairment, um, comorbidities sort of triad of, of difficulty, um, as well as the, the impact that family and carers can have. Yeah. As you've just signposted, the results you felt were mixed. So how does what you found fit in with what we already know about this area and, and you know what was in the existing literature that you outlined earlier? To our knowledge, this hasn't been looked at before, and, and um, specifically in the primary care sort of arena um, and around decisions about patients without a diagnosis of cancer that are presenting with symptoms, which was the focus of this. Um, but the existing literature has loads of secondary care studies, um, mostly patients that have had a diagnosis of cancer, and then they look at the impact of frailty, dementia, comorbidities, um, and they're stark, and they sort of support my overall first impressions that perhaps in some cases it would be better not to investigate older adults with cancer symptoms so we mentioned the frailty ones in the introduction so so patients with frailty and cancer had had worse outcomes and increased morbidity and less likely to have treatments and the treatments were less likely to be successful or tolerated well there was a nice systematic review looking at dementia and cancer all aspects of, of cancer care really even screening but they found that patients with dementia had less cancer screening that might be appropriate to be honest my tip but it but it might not they but they had less cancer information given to them so um around staging or, or, around what the tests were um they had less cancer treatment and then interestingly they also had less pain management which is a bit distressing isn't it but um but so so dementia and cancer together is a well a source for more work isn't it but it sort of supports the findings of, of this review and then I, I also found again secondary care and looking at cancer treatment but a review looking at the effect of comorbidities on 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 cancer outcomes post-diagnosis and and again maybe not surprising but again supporting patients with increased comorbidities had reduced survival from from cancer following a diagnosis and reduced quality of life so with all that in mind you question whether we'd be better in primary care stopping the roller coaster or not letting them on the roller coaster of investigations and tests and and hospital appointments and doing our best symptom management in in primary care with a suspected diagnosis. Um, that's sort of what I took from the comparison with existing literature um, sort of side of it. it. It all supported the the poorer outcomes with diagnosis and and perhaps therefore. We might be better think at least more carefully thinking about how we investigate them in the first place. Thank you. And I think that last statement probably feeds into our final question for the podcast, which is always around the take home message of what you've done. And so what do you really want our listeners to learn from your review? And are there any research or or practice implications for primary care and general practice? It's a three part question now I've realized I'm really asking you three in one. And it's the last bit is, you know, what are your next steps? What are you going to do from here with this information and take it forward? Yeah, of course. So good, good last questions, I think. So I think my my um, message that I really took from it first was that cancer investigation of older adults in primary care is, is really difficult. And and this just shows that there's there's loads of mixed messages and, and you know, 
depending on your viewpoint, you could read my systematic review and, and it would support either your passion that we should give everybody the greatest chance and, and investigate everybody and not use age as a barrier to investigation. But personally, I, I'm leaning the other way. I, I think we could perhaps... In the, in the right group of patients, we could reduce harm from investigations, um, morbidity and mortality from investigations for cancer symptoms. We could reduce trips to hospital. And by doing that, we could increase the availability of investigations for other patients that might be um, needing them as well. And we could manage some patients with, with cancer symptoms by, by managing them symptomatically in primary care and, and having a pragmatic approach. I'm saying some patients because that's the next difficult bit, isn't it? Um, we can't say, we can't pick an age category, can we? And say, okay, over 80s, we'll never investigate you for cancer symptoms because there's such a variety of, of, of health levels in in even 90-year-olds, isn't there? And, and some are super fit and, and, and we can see some 60, 70-year-olds bed-bound and very frail. I don't know what the best solution for that is really and, and that needs more work. But but if, if you want my opinion, I, I think that, Perhaps we could use frailty scores more. Um, so there are lots of measures of frailty. In the UK, we have one that pops up in our general practice record and tells us a patient's um, risk of frailty using the electronic frailty index. Every patient, every consultation, that pops up and it uses information in the record to work that out. There are other easy ones. that There's, there's some things you could do in calling patients to the waiting room. There's a, there's a time get up and go test, isn't there, that... that Basically, the slower it takes one to get up from their chair and get going, the more frail they are. And perhaps we could use a, a combination or, or a set of these scores to help judge our need to investigate patients with cancer symptoms. But I think more importantly, and, and what I finish off talking about in my systematic review is probably at the moment, shared decision making is 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 what we need to do. We, we need to get the patient's point of view and opinion and, and that of their family and friends if if, if that's what they want explain the risks and benefits of both the investigations, the trips to hospital, and then possibly the treatments and outcomes as, as well. And we need to do that in primary care at the, you know, at the time of considering referral. I really think that's the key message, shared decision making. But that needs a lot of work, doesn't it? I don't know if um, if you're the same in Australia, but we still nearly always deal in 10 minute appointments in England and in general practice. And to do that, in 10 minutes is, is impossible, isn't it? Especially if you think they might have, you know, a cognitive impairment or, or other comorbidities. Sometimes it can take them five minutes to get in their room and take their jacket off. And um, to go through to go through that, I think, is, is difficult. So it, it needs some structural or, or some organisation in primary care to, to facilitate it as well. And I know this is this comes at a time where we're, we're more stretched than ever and, and, uh, and, and, it, and it can be difficult. We also just touched on the possibility of using a specialist sort of primary care geriatric oncology service that doesn't exist to my knowledge yet but could that be something that that um could be done so could we use older adult specialists uh, to try and support these decisions and and get their input before we refer to to the surgeons or or to wherever for their cancer tests so that might be another option to to facilitate the shared decision making or to provide more specialist input i suppose so that's my take-home message, probably shared decision-making, but I suppose just um, recognising the fact that we don't have to follow the guidelines to the letter in, in frail older adults and, and 
pragmatism and, and shared decision making is probably the best thing for the patients. And I'm sure we all know that as, as GPs. And I think we're, we're lucky that we get to do that and, and, and use our own thoughts and feelings when we're doing this with patients. The final bit was, was next steps. So in doing this, I, f- I found in doing my search, it was a very vague search. Obviously, I just searched for older adults, cancer referrals, you know, and, and I found loads and loads of studies looking at appraisal and help seeking. So um, what is the effect of old age on patients recognising cancer symptoms and then seeking help for them? So it's sort of the stage before getting to this decision making. Um, so I'm just finishing off a review looking at that. If you want a sneak peek, it, it looks as if um, older adults are less good at recognising cancer symptoms, but when they do recognise them, they're very good at seeking help. Um, so I don't know um, what they're... I, I'm working on my implications for that, but but that I've, so I've, I've done that. And then I, I want to explore more about the decision-making and the impact this has on patients. So I've planned and I'm in the process of doing an interview study of older adults. So we're working at 80 plus, and those that have had a, a two-week wait in their 80s and 90s and, and what's happened to them and what did they understand about the process and, and the decision to investigate at that point. So that's an interview study we're planning and, it, and it's ongoing. We're, we're recruiting patients now. And then I've just got hold, well, I've, I've um, worked with a, a, a database called the Connected Cities Bradford. It has a, a huge database of, uh, of primary care uh, patients, really. And we were going to use that to try and get more real world data on on the impact of, of frailty and, and comorbidities and cognitive impairment on diagnoses that have happened and, and referrals that have happened. So to sort of provide a bit more weight and numbers to my sort of uh, <laughs> wordy and descriptive systematic review that I've done now. Um, so I, I think together they'll they'll provide a good sort of foundation to, to go on. And I think if I was having a pipe dream, it would be that the, the guidelines for recognition and referral of cancer in the UK and, and maybe other guidelines in, in other countries have a even a section on them saying what could we do differently in older adults or what should we think about in older adults because because as I said at the start there's there's nothing at the moment and, it, and it's obviously a, a huge area that needs looking at more closely. That's great to have a vision to work towards and it's wonderful to hear that you've already moved on from the systematic review and you've got a clear path of where you want to take those results. Look, thank you very much for your time today. I'm sure everyone will really enjoy listening to your insights about, you know, this group that in general is more vulnerable as well. So that's great. Thank you very much, Dan. Oh, thanks, Christy. It was a pleasure. The first time I've done this and I quite enjoyed it. So thank you for making it an enjoyable experience. Thanks for downloading Research Roundup produced by PC4. You can access the articles and other information in our show notes. Please let us know what you think about this episode by emailing us at info at pc4tg.com.au or keep in touch via Twitter where you'll find us at pc4tg and there's also our website which is pc4tg.com.au.